Welcome to Making Bread, Making Money in the Modern Age. Now, here's your host, Matt Barkley. Welcome back to Making Bread, where we talk about all the new ways to make money using the technology of 2022. I'm your host, NFL quarterback, Matt Barkley. My guest today is a businessman who leveraged 20 years of bookmaking experience into a global empire. Tom Waterhouse got his start as a bookie in Australia shortly after his 18th birthday, and it was a natural fit. One of his grandfathers was the world's biggest bookie in the 60s and 70s, while the other one was one of Australia's top horse trainers. Since then, Tom has helped revolutionize sports gambling through a series of successful websites and apps, and I am really excited to pick his brain on sports gambling today. Tom, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on. This is special. So you're in the business of sports gambling. Are you an actual fan or can you like not even let emotions get into your head? It's funny, you know, like, so we, um, so I was an on-course bookie and then the internet took off and we had mobile phone, iPhone came out, they lifted the advertising restrictions. And so we launched TomWaterhouse.com, which became Australia's fastest online sports betting company. And the key to trying to win that market was buying up all the media. And so we bought up all the sports rights, rugby league, AFL, tennis, everything. And we bought the rugby league rights and I hadn't watched a rugby league game for 10 years, but I had to go on TV and talk about it. So they got me to do a dry run before the season started. And I was supposed to kick off the season first few minutes of the game. And the head of channel nine got me into the studio and he gave me a dry run and he sat me down afterwards. He said, look, in all my years doing television production, I've never, ever seen anyone with less talent than you because I think we're completely up the road. Like we've got no chance with this. And, uh, yeah, so I had to had a very quick learning curve of trying to learn sports and, and all the stuff that I hadn't really watched since I was a kid. But, yeah, it's part and parcel of being in the game. You've got to be across a lot of the sports and stuff for content. But, yeah, it's not my natural thing to watch a lot of sports games. I, I've seen a lot of racing throughout the years, but it's uh, – yeah, it's sometimes hard when you've got to jump on and talk about something you don't know. Yeah, so no hometown favorites for you, huh? Yeah, definitely not. How have the recent advancements, I guess, in pro leagues embracing gambling, has that made life easier or is it harder just because everything's growing so fast? It's um, for what I do now. So I was an on-course bookie, then had this fast-growing online sports betting business in Australia, sold it to William Hill, which was England's biggest bookie at the time, mm-hmm. and they bought three businesses in Australia as part of a, a $700 million roll-up in Australia. We were a small acquisition as part of that, and then I was a CEO of that company for four years. But now I run a venture capital firm focused on investing on businesses that are service providers to the gambling industry. So, yeah, the rollout of sports betting in America has been amazing for us because we're focused in in servicing that market. So every state that opens up, every sport that's being embraced, whether it's NFL embracing sports betting or esports being rolled out in four states. Every time something grows in the US, it's um, yeah, it's it's terrific. But from our point of view, yeah, of course. I want to hear more about what you're doing and uh, and your story. But before we do that, it's time for whale watching. All right, some headlines around the space. Naturally, we got to hear what the whales are doing, whether that's in sports or in crypto in general. So you might have heard of some of these, as I'm sure you've heard of this first one. 
But an 80 to 1 long shot won the Kentucky Derby. Wild. I'm sure you were watching. Be honest with me. I mean, did you see this one coming? I didn't. Well, actually, and again, I wasn't following the race. I wasn't right across the race, but I only read the headlines. And, and the thing that I thought was interesting, it wasn't in the final field or it wasn't in the field until the day before. So it was an emergency. Yep. So I guess for a lot of people that are doing the form and spending a bit of time on it, they hadn't taken into account and it's probably easy to dismiss it. So I, I actually, I didn't follow the form at all of the race, but I thought that was an interesting, uh, definitely one of the reasons why it may have been missed by the punters. That's true. Wild upset, 80 to 1. The Philadelphia 76ers were fined $50,000 for listing Joel Embiid as out when he ended up playing. So I got to ask you, how big of a deal are false injury reports for professional sports gamblers? It, it sounds kind of like the Kentucky Derby when they're, they weren't expecting it and it kind of just showed up out of nowhere, right? Yeah, well, like I know in games where there's more players, like in Australian football, it makes a big difference when a key player is out. And I guess in a game... With the way you've only got five players on each side on the floor, if you've got a one of the main players that's suddenly starting, that's it's a, it's a big shift and, and a huge advantage to a punter that would have the knowledge whether a key player is starting or not starting. So yeah, yeah, I can I can see why there was the the fine imposed. Yikes! California voters are close to voting on whether to legalize sports gambling in the Golden State. How big would that victory be for the sports betting industry? That is a huge market. Yeah, it's one of the massive big states, isn't it, to to go. So I, I guess Florida, California, they're two pretty pretty big ones. And obviously, I'm biased because I'd, I'd love it to be opened up. It's a it's a whole new market for all these suppliers to to go into. But also, it makes a it makes a lot of sense. Like if you can regulate, tax it, putting controls around minimization and and responsible gambling, it makes a lot more sense than having an underground gambling community that you can't control. So I can see why California government would be looking at it. Yeah, it seems like a win-win for everyone in that case. Yeah. The state of Illinois, on the other hand, just posted a record $971 million sports betting handle for March. So make a prediction for me. In March of 2027, five years from now, what do you think that number will be? The top number for a betting handle. So $997 million in terms of revenue for... One month. For one month. Or sorry, turnover. That's handle, isn't it? Yeah, so turnover. So yes, that, that means, so, so call it a, a $10 billion, $10 billion in turnover for the year. They've got to be growing that. 20, 50, there's 30. This is going to be a well-thought-out answer. It's got to be close to, I've got to be over $100 billion, like turnover in a year. Come 2027 for that one state, like at least you'd think. I'd hope so. I hope it keeps growing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I haven't looked at. <laughs> That's a good guess. Yeah, yeah but that I, is a well-educated guess. I, I I don't know. It's um, yeah. I, I guess what I found find amazing in terms of that mar- the American market is you're seeing the largest operators, the Fanshawes and the DraftKings, growing revenues by still like 40, 50 percent. And they're mature operators in some sense. I know it's only been open now four years, but they've got such scale to be growing rev turnover and revenue or handle and revenue at that rate is is pretty impressive. And and you saw that in the Australian market, like the largest operator in Australia grew revenues 30%, sort of seven, eight years in a row. Um, now they're yeah. growing at around 10%. But yeah, so I guess pretty exciting. Nuts. Nuts, nuts, nuts. All right, well, Last but not least, in uh, 
as a headline for our whales. The Yankees, okay, were, were recently valued at a staggering $7 billion, making them the most valuable professional sports team in the world. So if you had $7 billion with a capital B, would you buy the Yankees or three to four smaller teams? Oh, if I had $7 billion only, I definitely wouldn't buy the Yankees. But if I had $300 billion, I would buy the Yankees. Like, um, <laughs> you need yeah. some wiggle room, huh? <laughs> yeah, I need some wiggle room. And also, it's, I guess if you've got $300 billion or you're like Elon Musk or one of these some amazing like entrepreneurial guys that have got a lot of money, you, um, yeah, why not? The Yankees, like I've heard about the Yankees since I was a little kid and I'm from Australia, so... I guess you got to own the Yankees, don't you? If you, what else are you going to spend the money on? That train is not slowing down, huh? Yeah, and so I like Chelsea Football Club. Obviously, it's been for sale over here in the UK, and um, they're just world class, well known teams. Whether it's like the Yankees or Chicago Bulls or the Lakers, and it's uh, yeah, love it, love it, love it. All right, Tom. Well, welcome again. Let's get into your story and hear more about you. Typically, when I do uh, interview guests on the pod, I, I like to research them a little. And in your case, it, w- it was pretty easy because you just go to your website, like you said, TomWaterhouse.com. It gives you literally a step-by-step timeline of your entire adult life. But for those who have not been to that website, can you just give our listeners a quick little overview of how you got started, what led you to being in the position you are now? Yeah, so both my sides of family were in horse racing, Mike. On my mum's side, she was Australia's has won more Group One races than any living trainer. Her father's won the most Group One races of any trainer. Mm. So horse racing on that side, and then my great grandfather, grandfather, and dad were all bookies. And I was doing commerce at university and and started working at the track and and just fell in love with it. And then that grew to being the largest bookmaker in, in Australia, and it was a, an amazing business. And and I, I just loved it because there was so much cash back then. This is twenty years ago, and I go to the races and hold $6 million on the day and have a couple of staff and you'd be huge betting to win hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars and win or lose a million or $2 million. It was, it was so much fun. It was like playing high stakes poker with the game ending every 10 minutes. And I thought, well, I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life. And basically the technology changed, the iPhone coming out and, and 3G and advertising restrictions, mm-hmm. that business within one year completely died. And so uh, we moved online, started TomWaterhouse.com on the hope that we'd just be able to keep our on-course customers betting with us. And right. it went from 100 customers to a quarter of a million in 18 months. And I couldn't keep pace with the technology costs and the media costs that started to build up in Australia. All the big European firms came to Australia. And so as part of that roll-up, I sold TomWaterhouse.com to William Hill. And and then they asked, said, do you want to be the CEO of that company out, out here in Australia? And so it became a corporate CEO for four years, which was a really great experience and really enjoyable. And then we sold the Australian business to PokerStars or Stars Group. And mm-hmm. as part of that, I bought back TomWaterhouse.com, but on the condition I didn't go into betting for two years. And that led me to this VC um, business, really focusing on the suppliers of the industry. So we invest in voice betting technology businesses and text messaging betting businesses and esports data businesses or fixed odds sports or racing businesses Anything that supplies a service to FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, Caesars, any of these businesses, we look at and our team of engineers and basically analyze whether the technology is good and whether mm-hmm. these large businesses will want to integrate with them. 
And that's been really interesting and, and something different and, and really enjoyable and also luck of timing because I brought back the business in 2018 and within a month, PASPA got overturned and the US opened up and that made what was already- Good timing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, people have gambled since the beginning of time and it's a very robust industry, but it's a once in a lifetime or many lifetimes with the largest economic nation in the world suddenly decides after 100 years that they're going to allow the business that you know. And so that was great. It's um, yeah, and, and re- really exciting. And, and I feel that it's still very much in its infancy, you know. So the fact that you've only got iGaming approved in half the states that have legalised sports betting, you've only got eSports approved in four of like the 26 states that have got it. And by iBetting, you mean just digital or internet, like through an app or your yeah, phone, right? Yeah, like digital iGaming. Like, like in 26 right. states, you can bet on like whether LeBron's going to score first, but you can't right. uh, bet by casino or, or basically slots in all of those states. And that's, it's interesting. It's, it's only just, just starting in the US, which is incredible. It is. And you're, you seem like you're in a good place to, to capitalize on that. And I haven't had a ton of sports gambling guests on the podcast yet. So I'm excited to kind of ask you some of these questions, but I mean, what even goes into setting a line for a game? I mean, how does Vegas oh. get so close so often? It's nuts. Have you been involved in that aspect of it? My start out was I was a dog bookmaker. I used to go to the dogs on a Saturday night, the Greyhounds, and and my dad said, look, this is somewhere you can cut your teeth and you've got to work out what you think the market is and basically put the market up and supply and demand works out really what the true price is. And my dad's been a professional betting, had a professional betting syndicate for 40 years. So I've come from this background of professional punting and bookmaking and, and it sort of transformed because before it was each book, you would spend a bit of time on the form and work out where, what they thought the line was or what they thought the true odds was of a particular team winning. But now a lot of the big bookmakers get their data feeds from a large data supplier. And basically yeah. when the tough money comes, the savvy money, it moves the line. And it's not the weight of money that necessarily moves it. It's how much those punters win as a percentage on turnover historically. And so when they bet, that moves oh, really? the line. Yeah, so they've got a lot smarter in terms of tracking player accounts and which counts win and which counts shape the market. And when the overseas exchanges um, move and when the the right heads are betting, that shifts the market. So it's not so much money, supply and demand. It's when the right people are betting that the market moves. Is artificial intelligence involved? Like is AI algorithms involved in, you know, sourcing all that data and kind of spitting out? A number in a sense? Yeah. So the majority of people find it hard to win betting because the odds are against you. You know, the margin is in the bookmaker's favor. But right. when Ed Thorpe wrote the book, How to Beat the Dealer, and you can win playing blackjack and certain casino games, you can win on sports betting if you know what the true odds are better than the bookmaker. And the people that can do that are very few and far between because it's you've got to find factors in the sports team, whether that player that you mentioned before is playing or not playing or whether certain right. teams play better at home or whether they play better on the quick backup or whether they play in certain when the rings are a bit tighter or when a certain like uh, umpire or ref is controlling the game in a much tighter way to another. That's a factor in it, yeah. They're all yeah. different factors and I don't know the factors in NBA or in NFL like I would, let's say, in racing. But these professional syndicates, they have huge data teams putting in enormous amounts of information and getting the uh, most accurate, up-to-date information as possible and the best feeds. 
but then they're working out where they've got an edge and that's putting huge amounts of data through their machines or algorithm and a little bit I think back to Ed Thorpe and finding how to win a blackjack he had the first computers at MIT in the in 1960 and that's like it today it's who's got the biggest advantage whether it's in machine learning or AI uh, who can get the most accurate and up-to-date data that other people don't get so some people might have drones going over horse races or going over hockey matches or working yeah. out what the wind was in a particular day or whether air conditioning is playing in a certain direction in the in the stadium, whatever is happening that's different that can't be picked up. And it's a little bit like with stocks is people might have drones monitoring how many vans are going outside a factory and leaving at a certain time or what the supplier, there are there blockers in the supply chain? And anywhere where you can find an edge that's uh, not easily accessible by the market then you can often beat the market. And that's wherever there's money, people are searching for an edge. And whether it's in sports betting, financial markets or wherever. That is insane insight. I didn't realize all those factors. Because, I mean, as a professional athlete, I have been hands-off of really all forms of, of betting just to be safe. And just given the exploding market recently, though, I just have so many, it's just intriguing to me. You have horse racing in your blood, and at least in America, the overall popularity has, it seems to have kind of been dwindling the last couple of years. Well, I mean, like 50 years ago, Secretariat, right? A horse was the Sports Illustrated Man of the Year, like, yeah. if that even works, okay? Do you ever see horse racing returning to that level of prominence like it was in the 70s era? There was a natural affinity with horses because people grew up into, like in my grandfather's day in the in the 1920s, people still had a horse and cart. You know, they they were still using horses. It was part of their life. That was their form of transportation. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I know in England here, you still see horse manure on the streets. In Australia, you don't see horse manure on the streets. You know, the, <laughs> but in certain cultures, and 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 well, just because they didn't have cars in the same ways, well, 120 years ago they didn't have cars, and they right. you were using a horse and cart. So there was a natural affinity with people that they felt, oh, well, my horse, and I have an interest in horses and interest in them racing. But also it was only the form of legalised betting in many countries, including in the UK, including in Australia until, well, probably only till 45 years ago. And in America, it was until you had like legalised casinos in, in the different states, whether it's in the Indian reservations or in Atlanta or in New York, sorry, in Las Vegas, it was the form of gambling. Right, but now in terms of mainstream media, the interests have changed. You know, all the kids play NFL or basketball at college or at high school, and they just have a natural right. thing with it. So I, I think that horse racing has a very big role to play in the U.S. market because the issue with U.S. sports is that you don't have the draw come into play like you have with English with soccer in England, and so the margin in an NFL game or an NBA game is very small for the bookmaker. So they haven't got a very big margin on that game. And so the way they can make margin is to get customers to come over to iGaming, to slots and those sort of things. But right. it's not approved in all states. So in the states where you don't have iGaming approved, I think the two areas that they'll probably try and cross-sell is is racing because there's wall-to-wall racing on all the time and, and eSports. And so I think they're both very interesting. But do I think that the Kentucky Derby winner will be on the front of Sports Illustrated in the next 10 years? I I would guess not. <laughs> I would guess not. Does does that market shift kind of change to all the new sports games? Even like 
is is there betting with with F one and, and and NASCAR? I'm I'm yes. just thinking when you mentioned horses were what people rode every day. I'm like, oh, well, now people are racing cars, and F, I mean we're not driving F ones in the street, but it seems like that has been on every headline. At least you know they had the race in Miami recently, but does that money just move into a different sport over you know in phases? So the the F1 is hugely popular, but it's not a great betting sport. And the reason why is because it's not a regular enough occurrence. So NBA is a great sport because there's, mm. what is it, 30 teams playing 80 games a season. So you've got 2,400 yes. events, and that's probably regular season. Or baseball with the, the amount of games that are played. Correct. Yeah. Amazing betting sports where a Formula One, you have it for a period of the season and it's huge on the Sunday and you might have the trials on the, the Friday and the Saturday, the track trials or whatever, but... You don't have enough. And also, once you get in the lead makes sense. in Formula One, often the favorite, once they get in the lead, it's hard to beat. You know, it's not correct. It's not as dynamic as all the different combinations with sport. But And NASCAR, I'm sure, is, has got a role to play in, in the US, but is not the same in, in the UK and in Australia in terms of sports betting. But you know what the most popular sport in Australia in terms of uh, turnover is? Which, as an American, you go, oh, how can this be? It wasn't even on live TV or on free-to-air TV in Australia, but NBA was the biggest betting sport in Australia. No way. Or basketball, yeah, and that's really because of the content it's, and also great time zone. So when those games are played at night, it's in the morning in Australia. And uh, and I guess for those guys that are at work and, and they want that extra top screen in the top right-hand corner and something to look at, they wouldn't mind having their a little wager on uh, on the NBA no game. No uh, Yeah. So it's, it's really popular. That's classic. We've talked about more and more states kind of becoming on board in America and legalizing gambling. For the longest time, it was it was simply Vegas. That was where you went, right? Yeah. Why do you think it took so long for so many states to get on board? Is that legislation? It's so hard because being in the industry, you've got such a, uh, a, a biased sort of view of like, you just go, it's insane that there's so much gambling going on on US sports. You can see like that the viewership, like even when there's a blowout, they don't turn off because they're basically waiting to see if they like, they're like gambling, but they cover the line or they do whatever. Like, and you, you <laughs> right. hear about all the underground statistics of how much turnover is bet on American. And you can see those operators that used to bet, take money from America before 2006, before they changed or really clamped down on it. So everyone knew that the largest betting nation in the world was America, but it sort of seemed natural what you'd legalize, you'd tax, you'd regulate it. But that's a, an operator's view of it just seems so natural to happen. But there's so many other factors that come into play. And there's also good arguments of why not to have it completely, you know, and I get that. But I'm probably not the best person to ask why did it take so long or why not? Because I'm like, oh, of course it no, should yeah. happen. You know, it's... Well, not only states, but but even but leagues too. Like we said, they're embracing it, even w- with like sponsorships from the daily sites or the fantasy sites. Uh, do you think there's a conflict of interest in leagues to cooperate with those? So I, I don't know the the rules behind you know closed doors right now, but do you see any issues with that? Look, the way that I've uh, I've been Im- impressed with the U.S. market is that they've gone in and said, okay, you can do this, but we're gonna get a good whack of tax. We're going to make it that it's very clear that who who the winner of this equation is, and that's going to be us. The sporting bodies have gone, well, we're going to charge a, a fortune in comparison to the other regulated markets in terms of data feeds and rights around it. 
and also all the player protection that took 15 years in the UK and, and at least 10 years in Australia to come in, that's starting day one basically in the US. So I think the approach from what I've seen as a, as a foreigner, like, and I probably only get to the US every couple of months, and, and but as an outsider looking in, I think the approach has been a good one. And, and I actually think the biggest winners, well, I think the states – that have legalized uh, you've already seen that they're they're big winners in this and i think i think the sporting bodies are, are doing really well out of it the deals that i've seen them them do with the like the data providers they're strong deals mm-hmm. you know and and also the deals they've done to to access those rights and be official partners they're really strong i think they've taken learnings from the other parts of the world and and done their own thing with it and done and done well mm. okay back to australia real quick because I got when you started as a bookie for horse racing, did you ever think that you would be you expand that business into this worldwide enterprise? I mean, did you ever have like a a moment where like, ah, oh, there might be something to this here? I I know I thought that it was heaven in the it, it, as I mentioned before, it was like playing poker every day, you know, and and large stake poker and 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 all the money was there on course and and it was such a big I thought, well, I'll just do this forever. And I had my grandfather and my dad teach me how they did it. And so I had a blueprint of how to do it well. And That's great, I thought, yeah. this is this is great. And then, but like with everything, well, you only have to look at the largest US companies from 30, 40 years ago. They're not the largest companies today. And everything changes, everything evolves, and everything you think is amazing and going to last forever, it, it just goes and quickly changes. And and you've got to be able to adapt quickly and, and pivot and be nimble enough and not have as too big a fixed cost to be able to pivot. And that was a great lesson for me in that so many times I've thought, oh, I've hit the jackpot here. This business is going to be amazing and this is going to go on forevermore. But the environment changes. You don't know. You you don't know what other people are going to do and they can throw, throw you out of sync and be able to jump back up and dust yourself off and be able to play the game again. As long as you stay in the game of business, mm-hmm. you, you'll find a way to make a success. And, and uh, so, no, I never envisioned that I would be doing this today, but now having done this, I can't ever see myself ever going back to being an operator in, in that way again. Yeah. But uh, I look very, yeah, I look very fondly back on, on that time. Yeah, you got to be able to adapt. And that's what brought you to where you are today. I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, all right? But are there any themes that you guys are looking at from a venture point of view in companies that are rising up that oh, might yeah. help at least the betters understand yeah. what's coming? So look, I don't know if it, it helped. Well, I guess for one thing we're looking at, we're looking at exchange well, what business. themes are you seeing? Yeah. Oh, so, so the things we're seeing, we think that an exchange operator and the fact that the ability to have liquidity across state lines looks like that problem is going to be solved. And exchange is a very interesting platform because obviously when you've got head-to-head against each other, and the margin's a lot lower. So you can see what a 100 to 101% market looks like. So it gives the other mm. punters a good rudder of when they should be betting or what's true value. So I think exchange businesses have a role to play in the US and who becomes the dominant exchange is not clear yet. We're looking at affiliate businesses because the cost to acquire customers and the amount of money being spent on marketing by the likes of DraftKings, FanDuel, and so on is extreme. I, I had no appreciation four years ago that it would be at the level that it is today, and, and it seems like there's no stopping it. And that cost to acquire customers is significant. So we're looking at businesses. Well, this is a, 
perfect example that are able to generate traffic and get people to come to the site and then hopefully acquire good customers for sports betting sites at a low cost. So they're, they're really interesting. And then other businesses, the, the customer experience in Australia and the UK was defined 20 years ago. And it's very much like maybe Yahoo was for search, drop down box, all on the left-hand side, where Google just completely disrupted. You've just got one line, you type in or you say something. And for us, we're looking at a lot of voice betting, text messaging technology. We invest in a company called Foxbet, which has had contracts with the largest operators in the UK and, and Europe for the last 10 years doing text messaging service. And they've developed that text messaging into voice betting. And we think that voice and oh, wow. texting has a big role to play in, in states that are about to be rolled out because in a lot of those states, the user experience isn't defined with a regulated operator. And, and we think that that user experience can be rather than having to drop down and find your market after 10 clicks, being able to just say it and it be there is is really interesting. So we think that that's, yeah, uh, definitely a space we, we're concentrating on. Yeah, trying to eliminate friction between your thought and actually placing a bet, huh? Correct. And the other thing, Matt, there's two areas, obviously sports, uh, sorry, horse racing, because it's a filler product where fixed odds horse racing we think has a, a role to play. And that just started in Monmouth Park on the weekend and the first fixed odds bet was taken and we also think esports has been allowed now in four states in the US. Yes. We think the value per player of an esports player is much lower than a sports better at the moment, a traditional sports better. But we think that that over a period of time starts to increase. And we think it's also very interesting because the product can be unlimited of how much you have on in, in esports. And we think that has an interesting role to play in those states that don't have iGaming. So they're probably the themes that we most concentrate on. I like that. Are you able to integrate any of those features with the Tom Waterhouse app that you have released? Or is that more of a resource? How does that benefit gamblers? So in Australia, we've got an odds aggregator site, so you can see all the best prices in one in one app. And we have yeah. a, a really great group of engineers in a business waterhouse technology. And basically, a lot of our due diligence, it's, it's we're not a traditional fund that tells you, oh, this business should be eight times PE or 12 times PE. A lot of, or most of our due diligence is really on the technology. And and I rely on, on that group and that team of, of people because I understand betting really well. But if you said, look, Tom, sit in a room and you've got three months to develop an app, I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be lost. So I, I rely Let's on- Let's just delegate that to someone else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got it. And, and that's the key, isn't it? In, in building a business and being a success, you you can't do anything or everything by yourself and you need to find people that can complement what you can do and and great people around you and, and really try and find or create an environment where they want to work with you because great people can work anywhere, you know? So yeah. that's, um yeah. I know you give the good specific tips out. It's a subscription service, which I get, but throw my listeners a little bone here. Do you have one good, solid, general piece of of gambling advice that you can always follow? Yes. Yeah, so so if you have 500 bets in a year, unless you're a professional syndicate, which is there's only a handful in the world, you will find it very hard to win gambling. But if you ask anyone, okay, I want you over the next couple of years or next year to tell me your best stock tip, and you can only tell me one over a couple of years, or I want you to give me your best I only want you to call me once in the next three years and I want you to give me the best tip on any sport event or any racing event, but just one. And if you limit that you only have one and 
you're very selective of when you have a bed and you're also very, very disciplined about making sure you get on at the very best odds. So you go and look across all of the bookmakers and you make sure you're getting on at the very top of the market and you make sure you limit your stake so you know exactly how much you're going to have on and it's not more than what you want to lose. You're going to be very hard to beat. But the issue that most people have- That takes control. (laughs) Yes. The the issue most people have, their first bet is actually probably a pretty good one. But they have a bit on that and they're like, oh my gosh, that should have won. I'm invincible. Yeah, or or that should have won. I'm so unlucky. I'm so unlucky. I'm going to have another bet to get out, another bet to get out, another bet to get out. And they, they can't control their staking. And that's where a world of pain starts. And they also don't care about odds. They're like, oh, I've got money in my my DraftKings account or my Barstool account or whatever. And I don't care that they're not the best odds. I'm just going to have a bet. And that's, yeah, a road to tough times. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Jeez. I also saw that you founded Listed Reserve. I think it's really cool. It's, it specializes in decentralized tech and, and blockchain assets, which we talk about a lot on the show. Do you expect kind of an emergence of cryptocurrency to affect sports gambling, whether that's you know NFTs being tied to horses even? Is that a thing or will be? Yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. So there's a couple of businesses out there at the moment that are focused on that and doing and doing really well. I guess my interest in the space, and, and again, I'm not an expert in, in blockchain technology or couldn't tell you whether you should invest in Ethereum or Bitcoin or Litecoin or any of, any of those, is that we were looking for low-cost centers at William Hill in 2014, 2015. And we went to the Philippines, we went to Taiwan, to China, India, everywhere basically in our region uh, trying to find where we could find talent. And we came across these betting operators that were turning over billions upon billions of dollars and were crypto only. And and I thought, gosh, well, this is, this is incredible. And the CFO of William Hill Australia at the same time is like, look, this is incredible technology. The fact that it's, it's borderless and, and that limited supply of Bitcoin. And, and we sort of went down that rabbit hole of thinking this is interesting. And, and what's been amazing is that crypto operators, they're, they're now some of the largest uh, operators in the world. And you can see that with the sponsorship of the the major English Premier League teams and, and stuff like that. And yep. so I think for, for me as a, medium of, of exchange or transaction was very interesting like five, six, seven years ago. And and I think what's interesting now is then seeing that you're putting on like these large companies like MicroStrategy and Tesla and stuff, putting them on their balance sheet. I thought that was an interesting mm-hmm. development. Again, I'm not an expert in the space. And and then now seeing nation states, this Central African uh, uh, El and El Salvador, you know, that again, I, mm-hmm. I, from an outsider looking in, I'm not a... I'm not an expert in the space at all, but it, it, they seem like very interesting developments for for Bitcoin especially. But uh, yeah, uh, to me, we we don't focus on in on um, like the actual operators. We focus on suppliers, so it's not an area of our core expertise. But I just find it interesting that there's such a large ecosystem there, and those um, operators are doing are doing so well. Nice. Nice. Well, I think there's definitely a future in how crypto will be integrated somehow in the sports gambling. They seem, yeah, no doubt, made for each other in a sense. Yeah, I just should say also just on on that is it's very interesting for the operator that they can see all the transactions and that they can have such a great player profile on their customers coming in. And the other thing that's also yep. interesting about these crypto operators is 
it often takes uh, multiple days when you win off a bookmaker for you to get cleared funds in your account. Where the the thing that's very interesting is for these crypto operators is that you suddenly have cleared funds when you've won straight away. If a smart contract is involved and the demands are met on both sides, it happens instantaneously. It's there. And, and so for that friction of getting a, a player to be wanting to engage with you and do stuff, there's friction if it takes a long time to settle and and also in terms of understanding and knowing your customer. So it's it's I agree with you. It's definitely an interesting space. Well, your success rate is is very high. I mean, you wouldn't have such a loyal following and a high customer base if it wasn't. But you're also human, right? And I'm assuming you don't get every bet right. But definitely not. Real quick, two stories, maybe recent. Uh, there's one example of a bet you absolutely just nailed. You knew it it was going to happen and raked it in, and one that you just missed the mark on. Oh, example of of both. Um, yeah. Okay. So the, I um. I was moved down to Melbourne in 2008 and Melbourne's Melbourne Cup, it's like the Kentucky Derby of Australian racing and and uh, I'm in the middle of the rails and, and first Aussies, New South Wales bookie where I'm from since 40 years, since my grandfather was down there and the whole family came down and I thought, gosh, I've made it. I was 26 at the time and I'm holding all this money and I just think life's amazing and I lost $2 million on, on that day and well, they had a big celebration like that night planned and and I was there with my grandfather and it was so great we were on the stand together because he came down to to watch me there and and I remember we're all going to dinner after he goes I'm not going to dinner and I just see him in the food court at like 10 o'clock at night and he's there eating a hot dog and with a can of Fanta and just going oh my gosh and the the interesting thing about that is it's a four-day carnival and that was the first day so and we were in for a long a long haul the next day so I, I definitely got that day I don't think I won on a race all day long and uh Dude, that would make some people hang it up for good, and yeah. you seem to climb out of that hole. Sheesh, well yes. done. So, and then in terms of getting it right, my my dad found a horse on form in England, and he said to my mum, he goes, "This horse is a very special horse. I think you should buy it." And she she bought it, took it to Australia, and uh, it was in the Melbourne Cup, which is the biggest race in Australia. And and I said to uh, someone speaking, "Oh, look, my mum's in the Melbourne Cup, and my dad really thinks it's a great horse, and it's." good chance of winning and I think it's over the odds and I think I might back it to win 100,000. And he goes, to win 100,000? Your mum's got the favourite for the Melbourne Cup. You're only going to back it to win 100,000? Back it to win a million. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to back it to win a million. <laughs> and so I go down to the call of the car. There's this big betting auditorium where all the bookies get there and all the punters, like a 1,000 punters come the day before. It's in the casino, Crown Casino, and, and everyone goes there to bet and everyone's all excited and you've got – the bookies have got to bet you it's sort of, and so they come around they go, oh, and they put up the odds for the horse and I yell out to win a million dollars. And the bookie goes, no, 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 only to win a hundred thousand. And at the time I was like, well, actually that's all I wanted to win an hour ago until I sort of got G'd up by my, by my friend. But sure enough, <laughs> I was happy it won, but it won. The and, horse uh, won? Oh. <laughs> instead of winning the million, it was a hundred thousand, <laughs> but it couldn't have been better, obviously for my dad to have found the horse and my mum to, uh, to have trained it, but uh, yeah, I always think it was a family victory compared exactly. to that day when you were twenty six. <laughs> exactly. So that was that was a good one, and and uh, yeah, obviously the losing the two million in one day was not great. Jeez, that is wild. Love it. All right, we're gonna get in a little game segment here to cap it off. See your knowledge on some of these lines in history, but I want to hear your thoughts. 
because betting the biggest possible long shots, it's it's probably not the smartest long-term move gambling. It's not the best strategy, but there have definitely been times, right, where it has paid off in a big, big, big way. So I'm going to give you seven of the biggest long shot bets in sports history. Okay. You got to have to guess what the odds were. Okay. I'm not expecting you to nail them all exactly. So we've given a little wiggle room, about a 10% margin of error in either direction. All right. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Number one, the Patriots are usually a good bet to win the Super Bowl, but the numbers didn't reflect that when they were down 28 to three to the Falcons. So if you had to put $100 on the Pats to win the game at that point when they were down, how much would you have won? I think you would have won at, at when they're down. I think you would, if you put $100 down, I think you would have been 10 to 1, you would have won $1,000. That's fantastic. It was $1,100. Spot okay. on. You know your stuff, it looks like, huh? I don't know All about right, that. I'd two. love to quit right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're one for one. That's a good... <laughs> number two. Here we go. Number two. Leicester City's incredible 2015 Premier League Championship was an insane long shot. But if you put $100 on them at the beginning of the season, how much would you have won at the most pessimistic sports book? 30000 500000 Wow. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that. That's incredible. Whoa. That is called a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have paid off. 100 bucks, 500 grand. I'll take it. Number three. Everyone remembers LeBron James leading the Cavs back from a three to one series deficit to beat the 73 and nine Warriors. This was 2016. Yep. I remember it. But many people bet on it, right? If, if they had put $100 on the Cavs, at that point, it was three to one. How much would they have won? I'd say uh, the concept Warriors could have been a, a dollar tens on. Uh, I, I would have thought that if they put a hundred dollars on, they're going to win a, a, somewhere between a thousand to two thousand dollars. Perfect. Eleven hundred again, just like the Pats. Yeah. That same come from behind. Thousand bucks. Way to go. You're on it. Number four. The Boston Red Sox broke the curse in 2004 and they won the World Series, but it, it was looking bleak for a little bit there, specifically when they were down 3-0 to the Yankees in the ALCS. So if you put $100 on the Sox to come back from a 3-0 deficit and win the series, do you know what that would have paid out? I actually am guessing it's got to be sort of maybe $3,000. I'm, I'm guessing. A little, little higher, closer to like 12000 Oh my gosh, okay. It's a little harder to do in baseball. Yeah, yeah. Would have been a nice, nice payout. All right, we're, we're even. We're two for two. That's pretty good odds, if you ask me. It's not winning or losing, but we're, we're, <laughs> we'll, we'll have seven questions here, so you have a chance to come up winning. All right, one of the biggest upsets in boxing history took place in 1990 when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson. That was a big one. How much would a hundred dollar bet on Buster Douglas earned you? Uh, five thousand dollars. That's right, forty two hundred. But five, we'll, we'll give you five thousand. That is an acceptable answer because I would have known. Not even close to that. That's spot on. All right, we're back in the green. In the two thousand Olympics, American 
Rulon Gardner pulled off one of the biggest upsets of all time. He won the gold medal over the heavy favorite Alexander Carolyn. So how much would you a $100 bet on Gardner have earned you? And sorry, what, what event was this again? It was a wrestling, wrestling match. Uh, wrestling match, okay. Um, I guess if you've got to be short price favorite when you're a wrestler, don't you? Um, uh, I'll take a guess similar to like Mike Tyson, five grand. This one shocked me, which is why it two hundred grand. Oh my gosh! From a hundred dollar okay. bet. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. uh, my wrestling uh, knowledge of, of how how short a favorite should be, I, I'm not across it. Olympic wrestling, we got to get updated with with those lines. Okay, number <laughs> yep. seven. This is it. We're even right now. We're gonna come out on top with this answer. We'll end with a horse racing one. All right, make it a little easy for you. Thank goodness. Mind that bird won the yep. 2009 Kentucky Derby. All right, much to the surprise of everyone. So how much money would a $100 bet have won you in that race? 2009 Kentucky Derby. 2009. Do you remember Mind That Bird? Uh, no, I don't. So I'm just guessing uh, $30,000. thirty grand. I guess I'll give it to you, but it was $5,000. <laughs> $5,000 would be the winning ticket for a hundred dollar bet in that case but if you're willing to give out 30k then no let's I, do it i'll take that bet i i, I thought <laughs> i'd just better go big because i thought there must be something like unbelievably like a long shot about it you know so i know that was wild i, I just love seeing some of those numbers because it's not reality on some of those big ones that hit and like you said earlier just make calculated concise well my grandfather Always said to me, he's like, Tom, look, if you back favorites, you're going to finish with uh, no shoelaces in your shoes. But he goes, if you back long shots, you're going to finish up with no shoes at all. And, uh, <laughs> and so. That's um, great. Grandpa wisdom. And the reason being is that with favorites, there's a lot more competition around the favorites of the bookies trying to lay the favorite because people are betting and they have a lot of knowledge. Oh, well, I know the favorite. I want to back the favorite. So there's a lot of competition about the favorite's price. So you're normally getting a truer price around the favorite where a hundred to one shot may it's true odds may actually be 10,000 to one. And that's probably throwing me off with the horse racing because whatever your maximum odds, like for instance, in some pools, the maximum they pay out is 50 to one, but really some horses true chance of winning is 5,000 to one, but you never actually get the true odds on the long shots. But usually the favorite is whether it's a two to one chance or three to one chance, there's competition around that price. So you're getting a truer price often around favorites. That is good insight. I think that about wraps it up, Tom. Thank you, dude. That was fantastic. I love talking to you. Thanks for answering all those questions. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Matt. Tom, thank you so much, man, for joining me today to talk I mean, the past, present, and future of sports gambling and your history and horse racing, that was awesome. If you guys enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review or subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Barkley, and this has been Making Bread.